Hi everyone, Wynn Claybaugh here. Have you ever noticed that life sometimes leads you in a direction you never could have imagined? That's what happened to this week's guest, Ali Webb, the co-founder of Drybar. After building two profitable fashion boutiques, Ali sold them and turned to her true passion of hairstyling. She studied under several industry stars before leaving that career to start a family and small side business offering weekly blowout services for friends. Realizing she needed a physical location, she opened Dry Bar and never looked back. Ali never intended to change the industry, but Dry Bar was the first of its kind and it quickly caught on. If Ali's innovative spirit inspires you as much as it did me, please share it with your friends and visit masterspodcastclub.com to sign up for our mailing list. And remember, Master's Podcasts are now available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Enjoy this week's podcast. Hi everybody, Wim Claybaugh here. Welcome to this wonderful, exciting issue of Master's. And it is exciting because... I love it when there's new things happening in the beauty industry, in the salon industry, and, you know, when a lot of things kind of come out and then they're gone. And then every once in a while, something comes out and you're like, dang, that was such a good idea. And look, it's working and they're expanding. And that's exactly what this interview is going to be about. Plus, it's going to be about a whole bunch of other things, too, because the woman I'm sitting with right now has a ton of experience, some great ideas, wonderful energy a true passion for the beauty industry, and she also has a very strong opinion, <laughs> which I love. Please welcome Allie Webb. Hi. That's how you say your name, Allie, right? Allie Webb, yes. Allie Webb. That's okay, it. easy, easy. Yep. Okay, now, who started the, the company Dry Bar? It's you and some, is it your brother? Well, Dry Bar came to be because I had a mobile blow-dry business, and that turned into Dry Bar. And my brother and my husband were kind of the founders and all worked it out together but yeah we we came up with it the three of us well i'll give more information about who you are and your background and everything but just really quickly give them the concept of what dry bar is so dry bar is basically just a blow dry bar all we focus on are blowouts no cuts no color just blowouts and we you know feel very strongly about focusing on one thing and being really great at it so it's all just blowouts no cuts no color now, I live in Southern California, and you have a location at this area called Fashion Island, which is yes. like this very, very high-end yes. uh, outdoor, most of it's outdoor, mm-hmm. beautiful, you can see the ocean from there, Newport Beach area, and you have a location there. Yeah. And I heard about it because a good friend of mine was like, when do you have any contacts there? I can't get in. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you, you mean you call can't me. get in? Well, I didn't know you back then, uh, and I, you know, so that's why I hunted you down, but... I thought that that was pretty incredible. I'm like, I'm sure you could get in, Linda. She's like, I can't get in. They are book solid. Yeah, it's a high-class problem to have, but one we keep seeing over and over again from when you know we first opened Brentwood in L.A. We were having a waiting list of like 40 to 50 people on the weekends. It was insane. I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It was so nuts. Was, I mean, obviously, that's when we knew we were kind of onto something here. And Was that we, your first location in Brentwood? That was our first location. And what would you, in that location, what would you charge for a blowout? 35. And we've $35. always been 35. On the East Coast, we charge 40. It, do they get shampooed? and mm-hmm. Okay, so shampooed, conditioned, and then a blowout. Yep. No cut, no color, no nothing. Nope. And the only other things we do are like we do a floater. Everything is in the bar theme. So a floater is like an add-on scalp massage for 10 minutes, $10. Oh, okay. Yeah. But it's all just blowouts and, okay. and shampoo. That was actually a question we got when we first started was – you know, do you wash the hair too? People were so curious about this concept and they would come right. in and they would just see the chairs and think, how does this work? So yeah, we, we definitely wash the hair too. And how long ago, what, what year did you open up uh, Brentwood? 2010. Okay. And now how many locations do you have? About to be 15. 15. And by the end of this year, 2012, we'll be at probably between 24 and 25 And where locations. are all the locations? Tell us. So we're in LA, we're in New York, we're in Arizona, we're in Dallas, we're about to open in DC, so we're. Are these all company owned, or most of them are company owned? In the early days, when we first opened Brentwood, and we saw this massive success, and we felt like we really needed to grow, and we weren't, we couldn't grow quite as organically as we kind of thought we would grow. So we decided to do some franchises because we felt like that was the easiest and 
best way we could grow quickly. Right. You know, we have some great franchisees, like a handful of the shops are franchised, but we've kind of decided to go away from that model, and most of the shops are company-owned now. Okay. And we'll remain, we'll continue to Now, are you already in. open in New York City? Mm-hmm. We have two locations, one on 16th and 5th, and we're in the Parker Meridian Hotel, and they are killing it. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, all of our stores, I mean, our stores have typically, you know, knock on wood, done really well as soon as we open, but not the way they have in New York. I mean, it was just instant. It was like they were just waiting for us there. Now, what percentage, are they all female clients? Yeah, I mean, we do do get the occasional guy in, you know, probably like once every couple weeks a guy will stroll in and he'll want to blow out, but it's mainly women. Okay. Yeah. So you turn me away when you... We could give you a floater. I I get a floater for $10. Yes, yes. A lot of times the husbands do that. It's kind of funny. Uh, so they just sit there while the wife... Yeah, they're they oftentimes oh, okay. waiting for their wives, so they'll get a 10-minute you know, scalp massage. Okay, I just saw you on TV. What was... You were on that... Is it Bethany? Yes. Yes. What was that about? <laughs> by the way, I don't watch those kinds of shows. Yeah. I passed by and it was on and I and I was like, that's Allie. Like... Yeah. Well, I mean, about? we've been, you know... like. Do you, do you want to talk about this? You don't, we don't have to... Well, I mean, I think that it's great. There's been so much press and we've been really humbled by the amount of press and attention we've gotten. And I've been able to, you know, one of the things I think is so great about our company, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, you know, we've obviously had a lot of copycats come, you know, since we've opened. But, you know, for me, and I think one of the great things about our company is, as you know, I'm based in hair. I've been doing hair for 15 years. I feel very passionately about hair. I have very strong opinions about how I want these blowouts done and how, you know, all the touch points of what makes a great blowout. So I think more what I'm trying to say is, you know, I am the face of this company and it makes so much sense because I've done hair for so long and, you know, I'm so passionate about this. And I think that, you know, a lot of like our copycats and a lot of competitors and things, they're kind of just people who are like, oh, that's a great business. I want to just throw a couple of chairs in a shop and, you know, and open a blow dry bar. Whereas like there's so much more to it for us and, you know, having a face attached to the company. And, and so there, as a result, there has been a lot of press and there's been a lot of opportunities. I just came so back. So what, from- you're opening up a salon with Bethany? Was that the deal? Yeah, no. no. Yeah, no. Okay. <laughs> no. All right, all right, all right. Okay. No, she has a show. She's a very successful show. And the reason the Bethany thing came about is she has her skinny girl line of, of drinks. And right. we did a partnership where we were having the drinks in our shops. They gave us the uh, skinny girl martinis to have in our shop. So we were serving those complimentary. And so that was kind of our, our partnership with Bethany. And so she has a reality show out now. It's called Bethany Ever After. And so I was in New York. They were filming. So they came in and had me film a little episode and like doing a little ponytail in her hair. You look good. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Wait, before we go any further, I I need to read this. So, cause there's a lot to share about who you are. So you attended the Art Institute of Fort Lauderdale and began your career in fashion working for designer Nicole Miller in New York City. Love Nicole Miller. She's amazing. I have probably one of the best collections of Nicole Miller ties. Ties, yeah. Oh my gosh. And when I worked for her, that was the thing. Yeah, the ties were all the rage back then. Loved it, loved it. Let's see. Then you returned to your... Oh, you're from Boca Raton? I grew up in Boca. I'm originally from New York, but I grew up in Boca. And so that's where you were working with uh, Nicole Miller Boutiques in both those locations. So you actually owned the boutiques where you sold Nicole Miller? Yeah. I I lived in New York City when I was working in her Soho shop. And then my brother and I worked, you know, decided to move back to South Florida where we grew up and opened a couple of Nicole Miller shops in Boca and Miami. I want to come back to that because uh, everything that you've experienced has gotten you to where you are today, including your experience. Yeah. Uh, for developing an eye and have a connection to fashion and everything. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to that too. But then you sold those uh, locations and then started pursuing your, your passion in the beauty industry, correct? Yeah. You know, I realized as much as I love fashion, and I still do to this day, it wasn't, you know, working in retail, owning clothing shops wasn't my passion. I always loved hair. When I was in high school, I worked in a hair salon as a receptionist, and I loved the energy. I loved being around stylists. And, of course, they would blow my hair out, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so magical. I can turn my crazy curly hair straight. And I was kind of – so that's, that's probably when my obsession with the salon industry started. I had been – you know, my mom was, like, blow-drying my hair when I was, like, six. I hated my curly hair my whole life. So – it's very deep-seated, and it's very ironic that I ended up in, you know, opening blow-dry bars because I've always been so obsessed with my own blowouts. That's funny. So then... But then I went to beauty school when, in, when I was in my early 20s. Where did you go to beauty school? 
and in Boca Raton, and I did not have a great okay, beauty well, school. Well, we won't yeah. talk about that then. Okay. But then, hey, but you made up for it because then you started working with uh, John Peters, Tony yeah. Guy, and you worked for, oh my God, I loved him, John Sahag. Yeah, that was... Oh, John yeah. Sahag, what an incredible, incredible man. Yeah, I mean, that was probably one of the best experiences of my life, How long certainly you my professional him? life. Only a couple years. So I went to beauty school in uh, South Florida, and then I worked with uh, John Peters, uh, another amazing hairstylist who really taught me so much, especially about blow drying, and he was an amazing guy. And he was very into dry cutting and was a big fan of John Sahag, and that's kind of how I started to learn about John Sahag. And so, of course, I got it in my mind that I was going to move to New York and work for John Sahag. That was my little dream. And so a couple years after working in Boca, I picked up, moved to New York, didn't have a job, had nothing. And I walked into the John Sahag salon and, you know, basically was like, you know, begged them to give me a job. And I started as an assistant and I met, I sat down with John and I loved him immediately. And um, and they gave me a job right away, and you know the rest is kind of history. But what an amazing man, an amazing experience working there. I mean, you know, his shops were very zen and oh, yeah. quiet, and his dogs were always lying uh-huh. around. It was, and, and what's amazing is that was like ten years ago, and almost all of the stylists that were there when I was there are still there. Wow, isn't that amazing? Yeah, such a testament. I think as a really kind of magical place to work. And I feel like it really honed my skills in blow drying because, you know, you cut the hair, you flat iron, you cut, and then you wash and blow dry. And so I was always doing the blowouts, you know, after the haircuts. And it was such a great way to learn. And he was such a perfectionist. It was a really fantastic experience. Well, I, I, I think the difference is you said that 10 years later, they're all still there. And, and you come across that uh, a lot in the industry that people stay forever. And, yeah. you know, some people, all they're focused on is creating a place where people earn a paycheck and some people create a culture and a culture is something to belong to. Absolutely. You know, if all you've created is a place where they earn a paycheck, well, guess what? They can earn one down the street and if they pay them a nickel more down the street, you just lost them. Absolutely. So people stick yeah. around for a, I think they say it's like number you know, seven on the list of in order of importance of why they stick around, how much money they're actually making. Yeah, I I totally believe that. And I think that's part of why we try so hard to create, you know, that kind of culture where people just, they love their job. And, you know, I feel really thankful that, you know, I think we're doing that. We get so many employees that just, you know, love being a part of, of something. And we've created this kind of family, even though it feels high end and luxurious, it is at the end of the day, a very mom and pop kind of organization that we're running. And I think our stylists like that they kind of feel like they belong to something and they're part of something. And there's this very family feeling. And, and yeah, and I think I probably picked up a little bit of that from working at John's Hogg as well. It has to be that type of a culture. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen stylists leave a job to make less money mm-hmm. down the street because they thought that they would have more fun at the other salon. Absolutely. Absolutely. And who could blame them? I mean, exactly. it's like life is short. you got to be happy mm-hmm. where you are. So, absolutely. Okay, more about your bio here. Okay. Uh, after leaving the professional workforce, then you became a family. You have two sons, ages five and seven. That's right. Okay. Two little boys. Congratulations. And then you kind of did this on on the side. You said, yeah. what would you call it? You had a, a traveling? No, was, what did you call it? Well, it's a mobile blow-dry. A mobile blow-dry. Yeah, a mobile blow-dry business. But I called it straight at home. Because Maybe so you would go to people's I homes. I would go to people's homes. And it was very, like, off-the-cuff decision. You know, I, I had my two babies, and I was a stay-at-home mom, and I just thought, i got to get out of the house, and i got to start talking to adults again. So that was really the <laughs> catalyst for that business. So, yeah, I started this mobile blow-dry business. So I basically posted an ad on one of my mommy groups and I said, hey, I'm interested in a, starting a mobile blow-dry business where I could you know, charge 40 bucks to go to a woman's house and do a blowout. They would wash their hair. I would just come and blow it. And you know, $40 to go to someone's house is pretty inexpensive. Right, right. So of course, women were like, yes, when can you come? You know, I was getting flooded with emails. So I started this little business called Straight at Home. My husband, who also designed the dry bar website, designed me this like one-page website. It was called Straight at Home. So it was the first little touch point, which was important. So people like, kind of knew what they were getting. Um, and I posted my little stuff all around town. And you know, sure enough, I was getting call after call. And I started this business. And I had a great problem on my hands. I was so busy that I couldn't handle all the demand. And you know, when I couldn't do my clients, I would ask them, so what do you do when I can't come and blow dry your hair? And they would say, well, you know, I'll either go to my salon and begrudgingly pay you know, 60, 70, 80 bucks or more for a blowout. 
Or they sneak into like a discount chain, which they hate because they don't know what they're getting. The experience is off. There's kids getting their hair cut. It just, there was no good option. And then I started to see there was this hole in the market. I think I innately felt it my whole life as well because having curly hair, and even though I am a professional stylist and I can do my own hair pretty well, I much prefer somebody else do it. But, you know, I too couldn't spend that kind of money. And I also didn't like going into those discount chains. So, there was just this like gaping hole in the market and that's when I went to my brother and, and my husband and I was like, you know, I think I think I might be onto something with my little business and if I could just get those women who I'm blow drying at their house to come to me, you know, in a space, in a shop, you know, we never call ourselves a salon, ironically. Right, we, you right. know, we kind of anti-salon, we don't smell like a salon, we don't look like a salon, we don't feel like a salon. But, you know, I, and so I had this very you know, strong idea of how I wanted the space to look and feel. And I wanted it just to be about blowouts. And, you know, lo and behold, we hear from women all the time. It's great that they don't feel like assaulted by that color smell like that you do when you walk into a salon and the experience is just very different. That was kind of how it all came to be. And so we, you know, we went out on a limb and thought, let's try this. So why was the first location in Brentwood? Is that where you were? Yeah. I I lived in Santa Monica at the time and I was doing women from like Santa Monica to the Palisades to Brentwood. So it seemed like a very, you know, neutral location. The 405 is very close. It just seemed like a good location that would get those. It was really meant for my clients that I was already doing at their homes. I want to say something to our listeners right now is the purpose of masters is for growth. It's for uh, learning. And I heard it once said that speakers and trainers will automatically upset 95% of their audiences or whatever the percentage is. <laughs> A good trainer will. Meaning, if everything that you say today just sits well with everybody, well, then what was the purpose of this interview? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to be pretty uh, pretty bold in, in some of your comments and opinions about where the industry is lacking mm where we could grow, mm-hmm. why all of a sudden would a place like yours open up and be immediately successful when I can guarantee you there are hundreds of salons that all offer the exact same service that you're mm-hmm. offering and yet you can open up and you're immediately successful. You immediately have a waiting list. And so obviously you're fitting a need and that mm-hmm. need is not being met in some other salons. And so mm-hmm. and people are sitting around, How, who does she think she is to tell us that we don't do a good blow? You know, okay, anyway. And I'm not saying Salah, I agree with you. I, I'm we didn't reinvent the wheel here. There is this is not I'm I certainly never claimed to or set out to like change the salon industry, not by any means. I just felt like I wanted a great place to get a blowout and where it was fun and a good experience. And that's really the whole idea. And I think, you know, I find that the friendlier salons are to us. Like there's such an amazing synergy there because we have stylists who work for us who also work at you know a full service salon and they're able I see it time and time again they're able to turn their blow dry clients that they've meet a dry bar into cut and color clients in their salons. Oh, so you have staff that will work for you Absolutely. and then they also work for a salon down the street Absolutely. and you're okay, you're okay totally. with that. I mean, we encourage it. We encourage – granted, there can't be a hard sell happening. But you know, when they're sitting – I mean, inevitably, no matter what you're doing to somebody's hair, whether you're cutting it or coloring it or blow drying it, there's a trust that happens, right? Of course. Right. So when a stylist is doing a client and they love the way they're styling their hair and so they want to keep coming back to that person, they love that person, inevitably that bond, that trust happens. So right. there's a very good chance that when that lady is like, you know, I need a haircut, that client, that stylist can say, well, you know what? I work at a salon right down the street. You should come to me for a haircut. And there already is that chemistry between the two of them. So then they'll go to them and so they'll... logistically, how does that work for you then? So they're working for you only a couple of days a week right. or part-time and... Right. Do most of your employees work part-time like, or do you have some? Split. It's like about 50-50. I mean, we have like half our employees who work for us a couple of days and then they work at their full-service salon a couple of days. And okay. then, you know, and then we have some that are full-time. I mean, it's all across the board. I mean, we have stylists who only work for us like four hours a week, but we'll take it because, you know, we're so busy that we need, you know, we kind of need all the help we wow. can get. But again, we certainly don't, you know, frown upon it. We want our stylists to build their other business. We understand that they're, you know, they have the opportunity to make a lot of money doing cut and color. I mean, want them to be able to get those clients into their chairs good for you yeah i think that's a nice concept to have you know yeah i mean i always uh like when somebody you know quits and moves on and that boss is so pissed off about it mm-hmm. you know they left me you know yeah 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 you might want to look at that you know yeah. they didn't quit they left you why'd they leave you meaning they obviously felt like they could get something better or different someplace else and i've never wanted to limit my staff and say you can only 
fit this. in this box mm-hmm. because I would love for them to be able to meet all of their career fantasies and never have to leave my umbrella. Yeah, and, and you know, and a lot of the a lot of the stylists that work for us are younger, and they're just starting out their careers, and they come into Dry Bar because they're you know kind of new, just out of school, and so they come to Dry Bar, they work in Dry Bar, they kind of start to get their you know their confidence up, and then they want to go work in the salon, but they also kind of want to work in Dry Bar, and we you know we totally are okay with that, and we you know we want them to kind of fulfill, like you said, all the needs that they want to, but you know we also feel like. It's funny. We've had stylists leave because they wanted to pursue cut and color full time. And then we've had some of those, you know, same stylists come back who just aren't busy enough to make enough money to survive. So they're like, you know, can I pick up a day or two back at Dry Bar? And, you know, I feel very proud that we always say yes. You know, we, we have very few employees that have left on bad terms. Mm. You know, we say, yeah, of course. You want to mm. pick up a shift? We'd love to have you back. You were amazing. You mm. know, so there's, I think that there's this like, you know, I can work at Dry Bar. I can earn a little extra income. I can develop relationships with clients. And I can, at the same time, still pursue my passion of, you know, being a, a great colorist or cutter. Okay, so you're not going to offend me because I know this I because I ask the questions all the time within our school organization. You know, where are we lacking? We have salons who are hiring my graduates. You know, it's, gosh, they're great at retail. They're great attitude. They, you know, if only they could finish hair better. If only they could do better blowouts. If only they could style. And you hear that a lot. You hear that with 20-year veterans that, yeah. oh, I love them. They're cut in color, but they just cannot finish the look. It's such so, a problem for us. Okay, so, so this yeah. is where uh, I'm going to ask you to you know piss off a couple of people here. And, and, <laughs> and I mean, why not? You know, it's got to come from somebody. You, you said that you know what makes a, a great blowout. And then you're going to give us a call to action. You're going to tell us where are we missing the boat? What do we need to do about it? So... That was pretty loaded, so I could leave the room and come back in an hour, and you'll still be talking. Well, I mean, I think that yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of questions in there. I think notoriously, and maybe it does start in beauty school. You know, I think that we're the focus, at least when I was in beauty school, which was like you know 800 years ago, was you know they taught you the very basic, the fundamentals about how to cut hair, how to color hair. There was never a lot of emphasis on blow drying when I was in school. And I don't believe that there's a lot of emphasis on blow drying and finishing now. And I think that, you know, people underestimate the importance of finishing a look and styling a look. And granted, a lot of times I think that stylists are just kind of more getting the hair dry to see how the color looks. And they're doing a very basic blowout just to see how the haircut looks. And, you know, that doesn't really cut it for us. You know, what our women love and what we do so well, in my humble opinion, is, you know, we style these women and we make them feel and look like they just, they can't look themselves. You know, I always tell my stylists, like, pay attention to what's going on out there in the world and read magazines and watch those shows so you can see, like, what the celebrities are doing. Like, those are the looks that the women want. They want very finished looks. You know, we have all our our menu of styles with all the different looks, like the Cosmo with lots of loose curls and the Mai Tai, the very Giselle kind of look. And it's about being able to master those looks. And, you know, I don't think even like you said, 20-year veterans, they were never really taught how to do that. You know, and for me, I've spent my life trying to perfect those looks on myself. I've gone through phases where I was like very into the Farrah Fawcett look. And then I, you know, discovered how to give myself lots of loose curls. And I figured out how I can let my hair dry in the perfect way and setting it the perfect way to get the mites. I mean, you know, so I feel like I have essentially been a guinea pig on myself. And, you know, I, I say that I feel like my whole life has been leading up to this role that I'm playing right now because, you know, I've really, truly been obsessed with hair my entire life. But anyways, so I don't think I learned it in beauty school. I think I learned it on the job and I think I learned on myself. And I think I always just had, you know, a, a passion for making my hair look the way, you know, the movie stars looked and, the, you know, that getting that goal. And I don't think that stylists are that's not their goal. I think their goal as a stylist is to do an amazing cut and to do great color. And that's an important goal. But for us, it's just you have to be able to style it. And you have to be able to make a really bad haircut look really good, which is possible, you know. I mean, we even have women who come in who, like, you know, will go wait a couple of weeks to do their color because you give them enough volume, you don't quite see those roots as bad as you did, you know. Wow. So. Oh, that's right. Because you're styling somebody else's Bad haircuts sometimes. Yeah, sometimes, you know, or it's not even necessarily a bad haircut, which of course we see, but it's like an overgrown haircut. Like those ends need to be cut, but, you know, 
I always tell my stylist, you don't ever tell anybody they need a haircut, you know, because it's like, that's not what you're here for. And that's part of the beauty, I think, of dry bar. It's like, you come in and no one's pressuring you for a haircut. No one's pressuring you to like, oh, you should really think about this for your color. Let me just clean up those ends. You know, there's none of that. It's like, yeah, women don't cut their hair and their ends start to look a little shattered. But right. a, a good, in my opinion, a good blowout can camouflage that. And that's what we do. By the way, do you sell product? We do. Okay. Yeah. All right. And I'm working on a product line right now, too. Of course you are. Why wouldn't you? Of course. Gee, yeah. duh. Duh. Uh, <laughs> Just because I'm not busy enough. Exactly. In your spare time, <laughs> you're doing this. Yeah. Well, now talk about then the you know training. Mm-hmm. Is that overwhelming? Uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, and that has evolved and continues to evolve. And as we, I mean, we employ over 600 stylists now within all our locations. And it's, you know, quality control is like the most important thing to me in this whole, you know, it's like customer service and quality control are at the very top of the list of things that matter to me, to us. So we, you know, like I said, having been a guinea pig on myself for so many years and now, you know, running this business for the last couple of years, I feel like I know pretty well what works, what doesn't work, what people complain about, you know, what we have to do and how we have to train our stylists. And I'll tell you, when we do our training sessions with our stylists, I hear it all the time like, wow, I never knew you could do this with a blow dryer and a brush, you know, like no one ever showed me this. And I think, you know, a goal that we're working towards is the dry bar way of doing things. I mean, we have stylists who come in who have very definite ways of doing things and the way they want things done. But, you know, we're like, well, that's not quite how we do it. And this is how we do it. And this is why, you know, it has to be that way. And anybody listening to this, you, you, you have to define exactly your way of doing things you know a system is defined as this is how we do it around here exactly exactly like you can buy a mcdonald's hamburger on the east coast or the west coast it's the exact Exact same same. hamburger and if you were hired on as a new cook you can't show up with your own recipe for cooking a hamburger they don't care yeah exactly and it might be a really good hamburger it doesn't matter not the same exactly exactly you know another decision i made really early on was you know we don't allow stylists to bring any of their own tools we supply all the blow dryers all the brushes all the flat iron all the products is that for well i'm sure it's for a lot of reasons is it also because of like the color coordination of it because you see these funky blow dryers out yeah. there and every I'm, stylist has their own different right. blow dryer right i mean you spend all this money on this beautiful decor of a salon and then you the tools that they're using look like yeah whatever yeah i mean that's definitely part of it i, I felt like i wanted the shops to all look very clean and to have and every and they're not to be you know as nice as it can be to have an eclectic vibe and all kinds of different fun tools around it's not the look i wanted okay. i wanted everything to look the same but more importantly than the look of it was that as a client, when you walk into Dry Bar in Brentwood or you walk into Dry Bar in Arizona or you walk into Dry Bar in New York City, you know everything is the same. It's yes. just like your McDonald's yeah. analogy. It's the same thing. You know, it's the the stylist is different. And of course, there's going to be – every stylist brings their own unique kind of flair to their blowout. But the brushes are the same. The dryers are the same. The clips are the same. The products are the same. So, And, the, and I hear it from clients all the time. They feel this like sense of – Comfort. They know right. when they walk into any dry bar in any city that they know right. what they're getting. There's no, there's no guessing. There's no stylist kind of off doing their own thing. Is there a dress code? It's a really relaxed dress code. I think from working in the salon industry, I you know, and having to wear all black all of my life, I kind of was like, I don't want to make my stylist wear all black, and and I like black. Don't get me wrong. I'm wearing it right now. But I wanted the stylist to be able to show a little bit of their own creativity without. You know, without it going overboard, there with there being some sense of well, there is a guideline. Yeah, can so, they come in shorts and flip flops? No, no, but basically the the dress code is they can wear black, white, yellow, or gray, and those are basically our colors. Okay. Um, and they all wear these little yellow aprons, and that's the aprons are they kind of like Got the it. pop of color that distinguishes them from clients and okay. everybody else. So. I'm all over the place here today because I'm like, look at my notes. I have all kinds of things that you, you, you mentioned earlier about the mom and pop approach to running a shop. Uh, expand on that a little bit more. What, what do you mean by that? Well, probably, you know, because my brother and I grew up with our parents who had their own business growing up. And so what was their business? They owned um, retail clothing stores for like older women. It was in South Florida, you know, where everybody goes okay. to retire. So they had these retail shops for older ladies and we just grew up in it. And we grew up watching our parents, you know, bend over backwards for customers and the customer was always right. The customer was king. And it was just that mentality that my parents had that we saw day in and day out. 
you know, I think it was a combination of just being in our blood and, and seeing it firsthand. I mean, I would see, you know, women who were these older women, they were a little bit cranky sometimes, you know, but my mom was just amazing with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they were always right. And she, she was really good at diffusing, you know, situations of upset people. And it was such an education that we certainly didn't know we were getting at the time. But about how to treat people and customer service, and and my dad, my mom and dad ran this business together. My dad was kind of like the mayor of you know of this of little shopping, little shops, yeah, right. of like the shopping center. Everybody knew him, and he was like the guy around. And it was, and I, and we saw this firsthand from my parents and how people, you know, related and how much they loved my parents. They were just so nice to everybody, and you know, I think it, like I said, I think it really sunk in, and I think it was partially in our blood. My my dad's dad had his own business growing up too so my brother and I definitely have entrepreneurial blood and and I think maybe it was it was growing up in that environment you know I mean I remember as like a kid you know going into any store and like customer service just being so bad and me thinking why it's so easy to be nice like why are you acting this way I you know obviously completely believe I mean who wouldn't believe in what you're saying right now now, how do we teach that? Mm-hmm. You hear about how like Walmart will come into a city and everybody's upset about it because that means it's going to put the mom-pop type little mm-hmm. stores out of business. And yeah. you know, so we understand, I'm not here to debate the economics of all that, but I see why people are upset. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, we're going to lose that personal touch. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're right, that personal touch can be missing in, in a lot of huge big companies and then there's huge big companies that somehow have mastered that do it great thousands and thousands of employees but you still feel like you're the one and only and that you are important and so well it's, it's <laughs> great to do it in one location could your mom and dad have duplicated that in a hundred locations yeah. Well, I think at one point they were up to seven locations, you right. know, but it's challenging and, and it's a it's a challenge that we face. You know, it's like you look at a company like Zappos, you know, they if you ever watch their videos, like those people are obsessed with customer service. Right, and, right. and that's how we feel. We're obsessed with it. You know, oh. it's so important to us. And it's like I say to my stylist all the time, the blowouts have to be fantastic, but the customer service has to be even better. Because a huge part of their job is not only it's not just blowing out their hair and making it look great, but it's about making them feel great. I mean, the confidence that we see in women when they walk out of our shops is probably one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. The way you you see a woman walk in, you know, kind of downtrodden, and her hair's in a bun, and she's not super friendly. It's just, you know, she's just kind of in her own little world. But then you see her walking up to the front, and, you know, she's like, it's like that Pantene moment where, you know, her hair, (laughs) she's like walking back and forth, and her hair is like, and, and sometimes you really don't recognize these women coming out and coming up, you know, to check out because they look and their whole attitude has completely changed. You know, and that to me has been one of the best things about this business. And I think when our stylist really get into that and feel it, and they do, you know, we hear it from our stylists all the time. Like they love like the opportunity to make women feel that way and, and what they do for their day. It's so amazing. How, what are your pet peeves mm-hmm. about uh, bad customer service? Oh. Because I, I could name like a lot. And ask anybody in my company. You know, yeah. pet peeves are smudges on the on the glass doors. Yeah. And so people clean those under burned out light bulbs. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's facility pet peeves, mm-hmm. and then there's you know customer service. You know, you know, it, hey, thank you, hey, no problem, no problem, come yeah. on, no, it's my pleasure, it's my yeah. pleasure. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's about the way you talk to people. Like when you walk, you know, when. You know, again, good problem to have. Our shops are often very busy, and there's nothing that drives me crazier when, you know, there's like four people up at the desk and somebody walks in the shop. It's like you go out of your way to make sure that person is acknowledged. Like, hi, even if you give them like a little wave or just something, you know, because it's like for me, nothing drives me crazier when I walk into a place and nobody acknowledges me for like 10 minutes. And you're like, oh my God, do they even see me? Am I invisible? And so, you know, that's a big thing. And it's like about how we greet them. You know, it's like, I love like when you walk into Starbucks and they're like, welcome to Starbucks. And you know, every time you walk into Starbucks, they do that. And everybody stops and does that. Yeah. It's amazing. And I tell our girls at the front and stylists, like, you know, you say hello to them, ask them how their day is going. It's all so important. You know, if you walk into a driver and the first thing that the front desk says to you is, do you have an appointment? I want to like kill oh my myself. Gosh, don't, yeah, oh, I'm like horrible. that is that is the last thing you should be asking them. Uh, either they have an appointment or they want a blowout. Right. Those are the two scenarios that you're dealing with. So you know you so don't ask. You don't have to ask. Just you know you know you can talk to them, get their name, offer them a drink. I mean, there's so many ways to go about it, and you know, and it's it's a tough thing to teach. How much um, do you script them then? So you're obviously told them. Yeah. You are never allowed to say, do you have an appointment? Yeah. Well, then do you script them of what 
here you can say any of these five yeah, things. We do. I mean, okay. it's basically like, you know, welcome to Dry Bar, welcome back. How are you today? You know, it's great to see you. You know, we you're having a blowout today or you, you know, it's more conversational than, you know, the stereotypical like you walk in a, into like a spa and they're like, "Hi, what's your name? Do you have an appointment?" Okay, sit down. You know, that's the last thing that we want to happen. It's right. it should be very conversational. And Dry Bar is set up like a bar. So when you walk into a bar, it's like, "Hey, how's it going? What's going on? How are your kids?" You know, it's like to me, this is a very social experience that happens at Dry Bar. And, you know, and we have so many regulars that we do get to know them. So it's like when they come in, it's like, oh, Molly's back. How's it going, Molly? How was your date last night or last week or whatever? And right. I think that, that, you know, getting to know our clients on a personal level goes a long way. And I think it just makes for a happier environment overall. And it's, it is a bar. So it's, I think that we treat it like it's a bar. Norms. Norm. Yeah, or Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Norm. Yeah. <laughs> is that his name, Norm? Norm. Yeah, Norm. Okay. okay, so what is more in your training of your staff? What's more difficult for you? To, what do you lose sleep over? What are you getting drunk over? Teaching them how to do amazing blowouts or the customer service side of it? I think it's a combination of both. To me, I lose sleep over a lot of things. Um, but it's... <laughs> No surprise there. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, not to mention that we're. Which the- is why you're a successful entrepreneur. Come on, this is what we do. Well, you know? it's, it's, this is, this is mean, not a nine to five job being oh, an entrepreneur. No. So not a nine to five job. No. I mean, it's a round the clock job. And, you know, for me personally, you know, we're at 14 stores now, soon to be 25. It's like our, this growth is amazing. And we're, we've hired a lot of great people to help us grow the brand. Um, but as a result, you have to kind of let go of things and you have to trust that you've hired good people and you have to trust in them. And it's Can that I give you some advice? Yeah. Don't let go too much. Well, I don't mean let go in the sense of not being involved I anymore. I made that but- mistake in thinking that I could duplicate myself. Mm-hmm. Like I could hire enough people or hire the right people that I could step out of that, step out of that. And I, I just learned I just can't. Yeah. I have very good balance. I have a very good home life. Yeah. I have Well, I think that's you know, but, that's what it's about. Yeah. I mean, my like my brother and I and, and my husband, you know, we all work very hard and we all have our hands in everything. But I do think you get to a point where you need, you know, you, you also need to recognize your strengths and weaknesses. And there's there's a lot of good things that I'm good at and there's a lot of things I am not good at. And it, I think it's important to get the right help and the right people in place to help you kind of that's manage. So this, true. Manage I mean I tell myself, you do not want me working in the accounting department. Mm-mm. You do not want me to. And I, you know, yeah. I think I'm a very creative person. I'm a very unorganized person, you know, right. so I need help there. And I, right. you know, and we need systems in place for our stores for them to run smoothly. And we need it, you know, we need an accountant and we need a lot of things that, you know, that nobody wants me involved right. in. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so how is it working with family? It's really fantastic. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about my brother and I had uh, Nicole Miller years ago when we were very young. Is he older than you? He's older. He's He's three years older than me. So you've been working together for... Well, we worked together in the Nicole Miller days for a couple years, and then that's when I was in beauty school. He did his own thing. Okay. And actually... When we worked together in Nicole Miller, it was like a total disaster. I mean, we fought like crazy. It was awful. Why? And, well, I think we were young. You know, I mean, I was like, gosh, 19, 20, you know, so he was only like 23, 24. I mean, for starters, we weren't passionate about what we were doing, I don't think. But we were just young and we didn't know what we were doing, you know, and we were giving it a try. And we, we were always close. My whole life, we've been very, very close since we were little kids. But... Working together in those those days of Nicole Miller just did not work. However, it's so incredible the way things work out. I think had we not gone through that experience of working together and fighting and you know you know pushing each other's buttons and all the things that we did back in the day, we wouldn't have been able to work together as well as we have mm-hmm. we can now. I mean, granted, there's like ten years between that experience and this. You know, there's a lot. You know, we've grown up a lot. There's so much more respect for each other. And the great thing about my brother and I working together is, you know, he's kind of the business side of things. He's definitely the overachiever of the family. I was like the late bloomer. Yeah, I was definitely (laughs) the late bloomer of the family. And what was great, you know, is that I had all this knowledge of the hair industry and he had none. You know, and I'm not a business person. And you know, I mean, we we would never have 14 shops right now if it was just me running the show because that again talk about strengths and weaknesses you know all of that there's so much behind the scenes there's so much business there's so much negotiating leases and all of that stuff that my brother does so well so it was like the two of us coming together in in our strengths and weaknesses and being able to kind of come together and and apply those together has been amazing I love working with family I love it because I feel like I'm closer to my family members because I get to see 
another side of them that you maybe wouldn't get to right. see. I think I've told this story a lot on these CDs of a woman who said, hey, I she's trying to get advice. She was getting engaged to somebody that she worked with. She's like, is this a good idea? And her aunt said, this is a great idea because yeah. you'll get to see each other at your best. Most spouses come home after yeah. they're both very, very tired. You right. know, they're both exhausted and now they got those duties to take care of. You'll get to experience each other at your best. And yeah. so you probably see a side. Do you have other siblings? No. Oh, well, if you did, pretend that you did. You get to see a side of your brother that your other sibling wouldn't get mm-hmm. to see. You know, mm-hmm. I, like my mom has worked with me for, gosh, 25 years. And I feel like I've experienced uh, a side of my mom that my other siblings maybe haven't gotten to experience. Sure. They, they experienced mom as a great mom. I got to experience mom as this incredible businesswoman. Yeah. You know, as this really passionate coach. Yeah. And they didn't get to see that side of mom. Yeah. No, absolutely. I think it's been fantastic. And I, I mean, without having other siblings, I definitely agree with that. I mean, I see my brother in action all the time. I've learned a great deal from him. I think he's learned a lot from me. It's, I think that's why, you know, there's such an unbelievable mutual respect between the two of us. So it works so well. Is your and, husband full time in this too? Yeah, he is. And he, he's the creative part of things. And him and my my brother and my husband also have a great relationship. The creative meaning the marketing, the website, the yeah. decor, that kind of stuff? Decor, yeah. It actually came from an architect who was a good friend of my brother's, okay. who we brought in early on. He owns a small percentage of the company, and right. he's very invested in it. He builds all the shops. He does the decor and all oh, of that. But any of like the collateral that you see, the website, design, creative, you know, emails, all of that stuff, uh, that and videos, all that stuff comes from my husband. But the three of us, it's a very collaborative process. So are you ready to give out any advice on, on how to make it successful in working with family and spouses and partners? Are you there yet? Hmm. Well, I think for me, it's like trust and a comfort level. You know, I mean, I know that I completely 100% trust my brother and my husband that they completely have my back. And it's a really nice like level of of not having, I mean, there are certainly things that I just don't get involved in. And if it wasn't my brother who was the CEO, I would most certainly have to or have to have somebody helping me navigate that. Whereas there's a lot of components of our world of of Drybar that I don't really get involved in. But I know I don't have to because I completely trust my brother. Just like he trusts me, he's not going to be coming into the stores and helping us figure out how to set up training because he just doesn't know that, you know. Did you ever have people uh, tell you that this was a bad idea for you to be working with your husband and your... Well, I think my parents kind of thought we were crazy because, you know, when we worked but in a... they did. I, I know, but though they're divorced now. <laughs> but that's not why. Oh. But... <laughs> I, no, they actually, Did you have to tell that part? Because I, I was I was still living on the uh, sorry. wonder of dad being the mayor of the, yeah. of the shopping community. I, you know, yeah. Okay, sorry, sorry. Yeah, well, you know, my, my parents saw how badly the relationship got with us when we worked for Nicole Miller. So um, they thought, what? You guys are crazy to work together again. But, you know, we felt like we could do it. And we had a lot of, you know, heart-to-heart talks before we decided to do this together. And we felt like we could do it. And we felt like it would be great. And... We were right. And we love it. You know, it's like all any of us ever talk about is dry far. So it's it's fun. That's the it advice that I have is you have to know when to cut it off. Uh-huh. You know, I have, I have some very good friends, Billy and Melissa Yamaguchi, who have several locations together. Do you know them? I feel like I met him once when I was at the school, maybe. Oh, you have to meet them. They're wonderful. I love yeah. this couple. Yeah. But, and they, I don't know how many locations they have. And they, and they have kids, too. But their law is the second they walk in the door... They never, ever discuss business. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't abide by that, you know, but there is, there I is don't a abide time. By that. I know. There is a time. But, but you, you have to know what Sometimes you have couple. to shut it off. You, ha- you, you have, have to, to shut have it off. boundaries. Yeah. yeah and I, I have I have two kids. So, you know, I have to, when I come home at the end of the day, I have to put my phone down and I have to disconnect a little bit from the business and give all my time and attention and focus to them. So, for sure. And, you know, when we all struggle to do that, you know, I mean... We're all going on vacation together in a couple of weeks. I mean, we, I'm sure we'll talk about dry bar, but, you know, we also can talk about other things. And hmm. I think I think we, we do an okay job balancing it all. Did, did we cover the topic of your pet peeves with bad customer service? A little bit, yeah. Did you, yeah. you think we need to – because I always ask the bad question first, and then I said, okay, now what are the things that you love that you're trying to inspire and train your own – yeah. staff to make it where this is how we do things at dry bar. It's always this way. Yeah. What are some of those things? Well, I think it's, you know, like I was saying a little bit before, I think it's about, you know, really connecting with people. That's what this, this brand is about to me. It's like we're connecting with these women and we're making them feel great or brightening their day. And I think that that is the big takeaway 
that you get from Dry Bar, and that's what we want. I mean, we've had stylists who've come in who are amazing stylists, but they're so unfriendly and unpersonable that it just doesn't work. You know, it doesn't matter that you do amazing blowouts. Nobody likes you, <laughs> you know, that doesn't work. It's, you know, it just doesn't. And that's the same thing. I mean, you can be extremely efficient and know how to, you know, work our computer system really well. But if you're not engaging and friendly with our, with our staff and our clients, you know, if that, to me, it's very important that there's a continuous kind of flow and energy through the shop. And if, if something is disrupting that, it's, it's you know, it's, it how do you, work. how do you, how do you acknowledge that? And the bigger question is, how do you keep that going? Like, do you have like a system for, uh, rewarding, and, yeah, and we're and, always and working reviewing on reviewing customer service. Like, you have mystery callers come in, mystery shoppers, and I mean, like, how do you, yeah, how do you gauge how individuals are doing and, and the shop as a whole is doing to, to then talk about it with yeah. your staff and reward them and celebrate and train and yeah. Well, we get a lot of customer feedback every time a customer comes in. We send them an email afterwards saying, you know, what do you think? Tell us. Don't hold back. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We want to hear it. We practically beg them to give us feedback. So we get a lot of feedback that way. You're, you're big on Yelp, right? Well, yes. I mean, we have a lot of Yelpers. Which, you know, I have a, I'm not a huge fan of Yelp, personally. Sorry. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I feel like I like the concept of Yelp. but well, Didn't you and I talk about this? We had a conversation about maybe. Yelp. I mean, I think that, again, the concept of Yelp is great. I just wish people didn't, couldn't be anonymous. I know, I know. That's the thing that really bothers me. It's like you can – and we've had – and I know this to be true. We've had a lot of competitors go on right, and write, right. oh, yeah. you know. And you can't pull it down. Yeah, ridiculous. and we've, we've had them pull down a couple because we've Got been it. able to prove it. But, you know, I think that we get – and we certainly pay a lot of attention to Yelp and we understand that it's a – you know, people like Yelp and they sorry, use Yelp. Sorry, that wasn't my question. I, I'm sorry I took you in that direction. <laughs> That's okay. Well, no, but I – But, but you, the email – feedback. I think yeah. that that's great. And we wouldn't believe how much we get and we monitor that. What percentage that. do you think actually respond to emails? Oh man, probably like at least 50%. They really respond. Wow. Sometimes it's like, yeah, it was great and that's it. But the thing is we give them this platform to say they don't have to talk to anybody because a lot of times some, you know, I'm sure you, you experience this, like someone's not happy but you, but it's not caught when they leave the shop because they're right. just they don't want to talk no, about it. They're not going to talk about it. They're not going to talk about it. But they're they get two minutes later they get an email like what'd you think and you're like well you know let me tell you what I thought and then they'll send us an email and they'll lay it out like this is what happened this is what I didn't like blah 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 and then we have the opportunity to get back to them right away you know within 24 hours and say hey we're really sorry we want to make this up to you we want to make it right and we take that very seriously and we monitor that very okay, I have closely. Okay, a lot of questions now. So they leave is is it part of a your built-in system that well, a big part email of, automatically goes out to them? Yeah. I mean, you can certainly call and make an appointment on the phone, but we have a, a really robust booking appointment booking service, and so many of our clients book online or with okay. our app. So, And to do that, you have to give us your email address. So, And we're very you know, sensitive about not like spamming people. We send out very few emails. But after you're done with your appointment, an automatic email comes to you and, and says, hey, what'd you think? And then who reads those emails? It's kind of a staff of people, including myself, and we all, you know, return them. And, you know, and I, I return a lot of them personally myself. I mean, it's a time-consuming part of my day, but it's a really important touch point for me. I totally yeah. agree with you, and, I, and you have to keep doing that. Yeah, and you I know, get... I have 16,000 students in my schools right now, and uh-huh. I get hundreds of emails uh, every week, and I personally yeah. read them and respond to every single one yeah. of them. It's now, so sometimes important. it can take me up to a month, Yeah, and I'll have like 3,000 in an audience and I'll say how many of you emailed me and a lot of hands and, and how many of you did I respond to and every single hand goes back up yeah. you know because I do it's important oh yeah. I have to yeah that's what got me to where I'm at today was I was approachable and I was nice and they could talk to me and they could share with me and, and I would yeah. respond. I'm going to let that go because I'm busy now? Uh-uh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I get emails from our stylists all the time. I get emails from clients and I feel the same way. It's so important you know, to interact. And I get random emails from clients about a, something they just aren't liking in the shop and I always respond to them. And yeah, it's so important. That feedback is incredible and so necessary. And mm-hmm. I, I would venture to think that a lot of businesses have no idea. Right. They have no idea what their customers are Or they don't are they don't want to be bothered with it. Right. You know, I mean, I've seen reviews from, you know, other salons where people write something and nobody ever responds to them. Uh-huh. Or if they respond, they're like, they're almost defensive about it, like defending the behavior. And right or wrong, this person was unhappy. So something went wrong. You know, I right. highly believe where there's smoke, there's fire. I had, if somebody's I, unhappy, something happened. I had a girl that uh, 
posted on Facebook. You know, she was unhappy about a graduate of my school. She was unhappy, posted something. And then the very next posting was, but I know I'll never hear from you because you don't care about us little people. Yeah. I called her. Yeah, yeah. She's like, is this really you? Yeah. I'm like, why would you? You don't even know me. Why would you say something like that. that about me? Yeah. She's like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll take it down. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, of course I want to know. I want to know what's going on. And I think that yeah, you I mean, can't lose sight of that. You have to be connected to your customers. Absolutely. I mean, we, we say in that email, like, we know it hurts. And it hurts. It's, Is that really what you say? We, something like that we say. I mean, I wrote it so long ago, but we say... Can it, you send it? I'd love to see yeah, what it sure. is. Yeah, That's I'll so cool. But it, well, wait, is it, it hurts to it be hurts, honest? With, it hurts. It? No, it hurts to hear the bad stuff. Oh, got it, got you know, it. Right. It, hurt, it does. It, it literally hurts me to hear, you know, I didn't like this, this didn't go right, blah, 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 but, but it's, it, it's what makes us better and it helps us grow At and it helps us be day, better. better. Exactly. At the end of the day, what's going to grow dry bar is not you receiving a thousand, we love you so much emails. And those are really nice. It's it's the 100 that say you suck and this is why. Right. That's what's going to help you grow. Yeah. You have to know that. You have to hear that. Yeah, it's absolutely. Not, it's not bad news. It's information. Yeah, and my response is never, oh, you're wrong. My response is always like, wow, I you know, didn't realize that was happening or, you know, we don't want that to happen or we understand where you're coming from. You're absolutely right. And, you know, and we will put that into be considered for, you know, an improvement or something that we're doing wrong. And, you know, and again, like I said, I truly believe where there's smoke, there's fire. We hear from customers about something. They might be overreacting. They might be blowing it out of proportion, but something happened there. And like, we have to like take it seriously. the story that I just told, I, I, sometimes when people just, they just react. And then when you actually get in touch with them, they kind of back down a little bit. Yeah. Meaning it's, well, oh, I think they I just want to be heard. it a little bit. It right. really wasn't that bad. And right. she didn't really... You know, slap me. She just did yeah. this to me. You know, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, sometimes when people are just so upset, you know, and they don't think that anyone's, like you said, they don't think anyone's going to respond. They don't think anyone cares. But we care. Okay. Again, I'm all over the map here. Um, music. What music do you play? Music is so important to us. We work with this amazing guy. Um, his name is Michael Smith. He has his own company called Playlist Generation. And what he does and we have sat down with him so many times and really explained to him like the vibe that we want to create in Dry Bar. It's like it's happy, it's fun, it's upbeat. And so what his company does is supplies there's like this little gadget that is in all of our stores and basically his company like uploads a thousand new songs every month and they take out a thousand new songs so we're constantly changing the music and keeping it it's very upbeat happy feel good it's such a range it's such an eclectic range this guy he was a dj and he started his own company and he does like i can't think off the top of my head but i know like lucky strike he does the music for and all these cool retail stores and he's he's amazing and we love him and we'll you know we'll occasionally sit down with him and meet and like you know talk about music and and is it the same music in every location yeah and it's basically like the way it works is, and the, one of the great things about their service is like it'll start off a little more chill, like in the morning, because we right. open at some of our locations at seven a.m. So right. what we can play at like five o'clock on a Friday night is not what we're playing at seven a.m. on a Monday morning. So it. it kind of goes throughout the day, right. the music and how it the, the vibe and the energy level. Huh. Yeah. I, I totally believe in that. Yeah, it's so huge. I mean, music is so important. We keep it very loud. I when I started my salon, gosh, nineteen eighty-five. <laughs> Um, you're laughing at me. <laughs> Sorry. I know you're, you're thinking, he doesn't look that old. That's what I was thinking. Thank you, Phoebe. I had a friend that worked at, um, do you remember those clothing stores? I think it was called Esprit. Remember oh, those? yeah, totally. They're still around. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Well, they had cassettes of their music. Oh it was gosh. cassettes. Yeah. And it said Esprit. It said uh, morning, mid-morning, yeah. afternoon. And so she would like give these to me, and I would play these in my salon. And I would That's... follow them. This is what I play in the morning, because this is what they play at Esprit right. in the morning. This is what I play starting at 11 o'clock in the morning. Starting at 1 o'clock, I play this, starting at this. And they were... They yep. designed their music way back then. Of course, there wasn't the, the cable and everything that makes it so easy nowadays to do the satellite you know, music and everything. But they were smart enough to record those and send them out to all the locations and say, this is what you'll play. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And we get a lot of good feedback on the music. And it's, and it's so important. I mean, happy music. And, you know, we play movies in our shops, too. We have flat screen TVs that play, like, all these girly very girly movies. Like what? Like Sex in the City, Devil Wears Prada, oh, you know, fun. all these really fun movies. And 
it's like so the music there's there's like fun music playing with great energy and then there's this great movie that's kind of a guilty pleasure that you're probably not going to watch at home but it's so fun to watch when you're at dry bar and there's subtitles so you can kind of read it and go along with it and you the way when you come in our one of our shops and you see like women are laughing and they're watching the tv it's just a great that's great it's a great vibe um have you noticed like tipping in the salon, is it different than, have you noticed that your people get less of a tip, more of a tip than in a, another type of a salon? Have you noticed anything? Or, or have your people said anything to you? Like, hey, I get more tips here or less tips here than... Oh, tipping. That's a very interesting thing that you bring up. So when we first opened Brentwood, you know, we, we just assumed that the tips would be around $10. We charged $35 for a blowout. We just kind of assumed that $10 would in Brentwood, that made sense. We found that people were tipping 20%, which was $7. And, you know, our stylists weren't totally happy with that because they're working for their tips. And we pay them an hourly rate, but they're working on their tips. So it's important that they get good tips. And we kind of thought the average would be $10. So we decided because the stylists were a little bit unhappy. This is like early days. We only had, like, were employing 20 people at that point. Right. Um but the stylists were unhappy, so we wanted their, our stylists to be happy. So we actually made up these very cute little signs. And they've evolved a little bit, but that's something kind of my husband and my brother and I worked on together was this kind of tipping sign. If we put these little signs up in the shop that said, well, I should back up and say a lot of the clients would ask too because I think clients understood that like normally what they're going to pay for a blowout is at least $50. And so they're going to tip you know, at least $10 on that. But they were getting the blowout at a discounted rate. But we didn't think they should be tipping at a discounted rate, you know, that that's kind of offshoot. So so we put these little signs out that said, you know, you asked kind of – and we did it in a very like – very – it's like politically correct as we could possibly be. With I mean, humor. And with a little bit of humor. I mean, right. I'll, I'll show you it to you. But it's very like tipping is very personal. It should be whatever you want. You know, you've asked us, you know, and we think a great tip is $10. And it's, it's said much better than I just said it. But, and it was funny because that really tips went up. Everybody was getting 10 bucks. Oh. And, but then as we've grown, we found that some customers will come up to me and they're like, that is genius. I love that you have that because I always felt like it was a very uncomfortable conversation for me to have with, with a client who's right. like, what should I tip? I'm like, right. well, did you love it? Was it like the best thing that ever happened to you? Like, I don't know, tip 20 bucks. It, it, was it okay? Tip five. Like, you know, right. but it's so personal that, you know, I'm personally a big tipper because I'm in the service industry. Of course, but we all are. Right. Because we work in that industry. Exactly. Yeah. So some customers would be like, I love that you put a sign. You don't have to talk about it. You know, I love having some frame of reference. But then we had some customers who really didn't like it and felt like it was really obnoxious of us and we shouldn't be doing that. We got a lot of bad feedback on it that we took the signs down. And then, of course, the hips went down. So it was like this very... So are they up now or down so now? So we changed the wording a little bit to try to make it even more sensitive. And so we have like a lot more of them up kind of around all the stations. And now we have, now it's just, it's a little more subtle and there's only one and we've kind of stuck to that. But I'll tell you, it's amazing. The tips really went down when the signs came down and the tips went back up because I think people just don't know. And it's like, they want to, you don't want to ask and it's rude to say. Yeah, it's so awkward. It's such an uncomfortable thing. But I'll tell you, we see really high tips and I always tell my stylist, like, if you bend over backwards, you're going to get a good tip. It doesn't matter if any sign we have or anything we do. It's about you. If you bend, bend over backwards and you give them an amazing shampoo and you make them feel amazing and you show them this great customer service, you're gonna, there's a good chance you're going to get a $10, $15, $20 tip. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So when you order food out of a really nice restaurant and you go pick it up, how much should you tip? I never know. You know why I'm asking that? Because I pick food up every single night now that I have a baby daughter. Right. We you don't, don't deal we with don't cooking. Get to, no, we don't get to eat in restaurants anymore. We eat at homes, but yeah. I still want to go to the same. Anyway. If anybody so knows what do you do? They, I don't know. Why? I still, I'm still tipping 20%. Or what do you do when you're at a restaurant and you pay at the front, but then they're going to bring the food over to you? Do you tip then? I don't know. I know. It's I'm weird. Confused. I know. And I'm a big tipper. I, I tip yeah, me well, too. but I'm still confused. And I, I was in the restaurant for five minutes. Right. But if someone gave tip. you a little bit of guidance, you would just do it. Exactly. And that's so, kind of how we always felt so about it. If anybody knows what the answer to that one is, please let me know. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm going to uh, switch gears here for a little bit because, uh, again, you work with some pretty incredible people. John Peters, uh, you worked with Tony and Guy Company. You worked with John Sahag. What did you learn from there? And I guess I'm, I want to kind of lead you into discipline. Mm-hmm. Like what was the, you know, cool that you got a great work ethic from mom and dad, cool that you were privy 
to mom and dad who were entrepreneurs and were running their own companies, so they weren't just going to work, getting a paycheck, right. coming home, and you had no idea. You were witness to to what they had to sacrifice and compromise and learn right. and implement in order to be a, a success. So, um, you know, what did you learn from your experiences, uh, those incredible mentors? Well, I think, um, you know, starting with John Peters, because that's kind of where my career started, you know, I think he had such a great way with women. You know, he infused like, just the right amount of humor in his whole shtick, you know, when he was cutting their hair and blow drying. And, you know, he kind of would get women to kind of relax. And, you know, it's very easy to get uptight when you're getting your hair cut or mm-hmm. colored. And he had this like way of disarming women that I just was so mesmerized by the way he connected with people. Were you able to duplicate that? Because you're a woman. Obviously, as a man, he can say certain things. No, I, I do. I mean, I feel like oftentimes I feel like I channel him, you know, because I was his assistant. And I worked like I just watched him cut hair all day long for a good year. So I learned so much. And I think I learned how to maneuver in a, in a tough situation, you know, and how to kind of get out of a bad situation and how to infuse humor. And, you know, we're not doing brain surgery here. Like, you know, it's going to be okay. Kind of, you know, he had this way of, of softening people up. And I think that I really, you know, I, I, that I really held on to that and I took that with me. And, and, you know, I, there was always, you could always fix it. You could always, you know, get out of a bad situation. And he just, he did that so beautifully that I, I think I just, I really took that. That's a great lesson because I wonder how much of customer service, good customer service and client loyalty is based on being able to diffuse Absolutely, because, you know, I... Customer <laughs> service isn't always smile and say hi. No, it's at, a lot more at than At some point, you're going to make a mistake and somebody's going to be unhappy. Now, how do you deal with it? Right, and I mean, there were women who would come into John and they'd be like, I hated my last haircut. But here they are back in their chair, you know. Uh, uh, you, you know, I mean, I remember that so well. And they, they'd be like, what did you do, John? You must have been drunk that day or, you know, I mean, just funny. silly, you know. But they were still loyal. But they were still loyal because, yeah. you know, he was so approachable and he could say, like, hey, I didn't like this last time. And he would not take it personally. I mean, that's a huge thing that I say to my stylist all the time. It's not personal. It's never personal. You know, mm-hmm. it's not – if a client comes in and she's really tough on you and she's giving you a hard time, it's not you. You know, she's fighting with her husband or – She's not talking to her kid. or I would always say it's not personal. Your job is to make her feel great, but it's not personal. And I think that I learned that very much from John. If a client came in and said, hey, I didn't like my last haircut, John, and he would ask her, like, why, like, what happened, what was wrong, and, and you know, and he would fix it, and then and that would be that. And they would right. continue to be, you know, his stylist. And I think that was a great way to That's a great lesson loyalty. right there because yeah. how many stylists take it personally? Yeah. You know, it's like... You make mistakes. You do things wrong. You try new things. You know, you're... What do you mean? That was the best color I... Yeah. Yeah, I think while I was working for John Peters, I took a lot of classes at Tony and Guy. I went out to their Dallas location and I, you know, and as a stylist, I think that you go and you learn new things and new techniques and then you come back to your salon and you apply them and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work. And, you know, I think your clients want you to do that. You're, you know, our clients want us to go and explore new things and have new ideas and new experiences for them, but they don't always work. And so I think, you know, if you have that right relationship with your stylist where you can say, yeah, I didn't love it last time, but you know, it doesn't mean I'm going to leave you. It's just, I just have to know that it's not going to be an uncomfortable situation for me mm-hmm. to say, yeah, I didn't like it. What did John Sahak teach you? Now, I think much more like discipline. I mean, he was a quiet guy, you know, and, you know, I wouldn't say I talked to him all that much because he was was all more inward. Um, I think he, I felt like I learned to kind of slow down and take my time with things there. He was so meticulous when he cut and he never rushed things. And I think my mentality, which I still believe this day is like, Fast, 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 fast. Like, I have so much to do. I have so much going on. You know, I'm just always moving, moving, moving. And he had a very, like, zen, chill thing about him that I think I really <laughs> still aspire. Because that's not me. It's not and me. Not it's not, yeah. I, I always say ADD has been very, very good to me. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, gosh, I have a million things swirling in my head. I mean, I remember being an assistant in that salon and washing dishes one day and him coming in the back and, like, turning the faucet down because I was like, you know, I had the water on full speed because I could get the dishes done faster that way. But he would, he came back and he like put his hand on my hand and he, he like, you don't need this much water. And I was like, oh my God. Okay. He's like, you can get the dishes done just as fast, you know, but that was his thing. It was like everybody, there was like a calmness and 
And it was nice. It was a nice place to be. I mean, there was still a hustle and bustle factor, and the salon was busy, and he was busy, but there was this, like, there's this, like, zen-like quality, which, I, you know, I don't know how much of it I picked up, but I certainly think about it a lot. <laughs> yeah, he was an interesting guy. Answer. Okay, so where do you see yourself in five years? You and Drybar. What's, what, is it a thousand locations? Is it... Oh, I don't know if I'll be standing if you have a thousand locations. Um, you know, I think I'm at, I feel really lucky and really humble to be where I am right now and to have all this success and growth that we're, we're seeing. And I think we have, we're opening, we have so many opportunities right now and so much happening that it'll be, in, I don't know exactly where I'll be in five years. And I'm, mm. I'm just as curious as anybody else. I mean, I think we will continue to open stores. I think there's a very good chance we'll surpass you know, 100, 150 stores. It's really hard to, to wrap my head around more than that at this point. If I asked your brother, would he have a different answer or a more defined answer? <laughs> I don't know. You, you should ask him. I don't know what he would say in five years because it's like, we, you know, we're also developing a product line now and that'll be a really interesting thing for us too to see what happens with that. Like I said, I think there's a lot of opportunities coming our way right now and you know, we're kind of trying to keep our heads to the ground and, and, you know, and just keep moving and keep working and stay focused and keep opening stores and keep, you know, the, for me right now, the most important thing is the quality control and keeping the shops mm-hmm. at the level they need to be. And yeah, I'm just, I can barely think about tomorrow. Can so. you see that movie um, <laughs> that was share what, something about the moon where she slaps the guy and says, snap out of it. I feel like I have, but I can't. That's kind of how I view you in the beauty industry. Like, I view you as somebody who loves the beauty industry. You love this industry, and but you're always like... Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be, you know, as bad as it sometimes can get in this industry. And yeah. it doesn't have to be so difficult. It's just, yeah. you know, snap out of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I love this industry. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be... You know, it, it bothers me when, you know, when salons aren't, don't want to be friends with us because there's this like competition and it's like, really, it's just like, we're all doing what we love. And I think we just want to elevate this industry and continue elevating it. And, you know, yeah, I'd rather have 10 good salons as my competitors than 10 bad salons. Yeah, of so. course, of course. And I think that we have, you know, even getting to know you and, you know, you've been helping us out. And, you know, I think that we all have the same goal. Like we think we, there's these young creative people and they want to do hair and they love hair and they want to do lots of different things with hair. And, you know, I think we just have to continue to foster that and, and keep that going. Um, thank you for going into my school. Because how many team did you bring in with you? How many team members were there with you? Um, I think we only brought in like three. Ooh, you, they, they loved you. It was, they were just captivated. So thanks for that. Oh, good. Yeah, it was it was an interesting environment because I was like, wow, I'm going to do a whole blow dry that's going to take me like 30 minutes. And the blow dryer is so loud. And we had another girl that I that's worked with me from day one who was kind of commentating and kind of knew everything I was doing and why. So they asked a lot of good questions. And, you know, we've seen a couple of them come into the shops that's and great. inquire. So it was great. So do you have a final message for our listeners? You know, I think whatever you decide to do, whether it's in this industry or another industry, I think you just have to be really passionate about it and love it. I think I'm extremely lucky because I love my job. I love what I'm doing. I love, there's a lot of different aspects about it. A lot of it is the hair part of it. I'm completely 100% over the top obsessed with hair, but I also, you know, I love a lot of aspects of my job and what I get to do. And I think, I know I'm lucky to be in that boat, but I think it's, it's about finding your passion and you know, it doesn't feel like work to me. So I think mm-hmm. pursue what you love, you know. That's a perfect message. Yeah. That's what these issues should always be about. Yeah. 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 Be so much happier in the end. This was easy. I knew this would be easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was this was I, I should have turned the mic the second you walked in the door because you and I were like rambling for like 30 <laughs> minutes before we even put the mic on. So. Oh, baby talk. So we'll do another one of these. That'd be great. Thanks so Thanks much. Thanks for having uh, me. Pleasure.